On this episode of The Popcorn Diet, we dissect the story of a boy and his imaginary friend, Adolf Hitler. That's right, it's Taika Watiti time, it's Jojo Rabbit time. Get your popcorn ready. Are you ready for the best weekend ever? Yes, I am! <laughs> Jojo, my old friend. Hi, Adolf. What's wrong, little man? They call me a scared rabbit. Jojo Let them say whatever they want. People used to say a lot of nasty things about me. Oh, this guy's a lunatic. Oh, look at that psycho. He's gonna get us all killed. to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie theater popcorn and other movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic. It's a Friday. We, a Friday. We, we got back on our schedule of... Thursday night movie yes, on release. Now we're recording the next day. It has been. I feel a little bad because we said we were going to do Zombieland on our last episode and then life just got in the way. Life just gets in the way sometimes where there's travel, there's there's all types of personal stuff. You you are a family man of all, you know, um, amongst other things. And um, it just didn't happen. So for that, we apologize. Short Zombieland review. We both enjoyed it. We both enjoyed it. You like the first it. one, you'll probably like this one. Like but probably one. slightly less than the first one. Yeah. Um, it's a good time. Yeah, good time. If you, if you, if you like it, go see it. You, you won't be disappointed. But now, David, we are here talking about... I was actually really excited when we were talking about what this episode was going to be because we basically had three of my kind of most anticipated movies of the festival scene coming out finally in a location that we can see. And we're going to do probably primer episodes on every single one of these, but it was Parasite, uh, an amazing South Korean movie that I cannot wait to see. The Lighthouse with Defoe and Pattinson playing old black and white, old-timey lighthouse keepers. And then... The movie that we are going to be talking about today, Taika Waititi's anti-hate satire, Jojo Rabbit, where, and I remember when this, do you, do you remember when they announced, when Taika said this was going to be his next project? Do you remember that at all? Not really. Because I remember when he said he was making a movie with Scarlett Johansson and Sam Rockwell where he was going to play a comedic version of Adolf Hitler, and I was just like, what does that <laughs> movie even look like like what is that even gonna be like and you know unsurprisingly it's a lot like taika's other movies that aren't you know funded by marvel it feels very much in the same vein and with the same kind of style of humor the same production design as a lot of his older movies you know uh, you know your what we do in the shadows particularly 
The Hunt for the Wilder People, I thought, is one of my favorite Taika movies and I think is a really good kind of comparison to this subject notwithstanding. But before we get into that, I wanted to take a moment because we really haven't had a chance to discuss satire on this podcast. And I don't know about you, David, but I'm a big, big fan of satire, whether it be in the past, whether it be now. Satire is always really, really interesting to me. Now, satire is defined as the use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and critique people or society's stupidity and vices, particularly and most commonly in the context of contemporary politics or other topical issues. Now, I listed off some satire movies. We're not going to go into all of them, obviously, but you know, for our listeners, whether you're a casual moviegoer or whether you're a, a movie-aholic like, like all of us living on the popcorn diet, I listed off some, some satires, David, and I know you haven't seen all of these. I, actually, I, I don't know that. I should Watch I should, it. I should walk that back. Watch <laughs> it. But I, I, I did have – you've probably seen a lot of these. I'm, I, my question is on the first two. I'm not sure. But I have like eight here mm-hmm. that I wanted to list off and kind of just not really talk about them, but at least point out what it was satirizing, what it was taking a satirical look at. And there obviously are other ones that are, are that existed way before this. There are other ones that existed way after. But I had I listed off these ones as some of my favorite ones. And the first one is Dr. Strangelove, which was Stanley Kubrick's adaptation of a straight of a of a straightforward novel that he just found so ridiculous that he actually decided okay this definitely needs to be a satire and it takes that satirical look at our back then at least our fears of like atomic destruction sure. and the way that governments play with this type of real world potentially world ending you know, catastrophic type stuff as if it's nothing, right? Did you ever see Dr. Strangelove? Long time ago. Okay. You don't remember real well. Yeah. Um, I remember a lot of things. I remember, you know, you don't, gentlemen, you stop fighting. This is the war room or Slim Pickens riding the nuke all the way down, whatever. Um, but then we have Network. And I can't mm-hmm. remember if those, I, I listed these off. I didn't put the dates on them. So Network may have come first. Dr. Strangelove may have come first. My my dates aren't the strongest aspect of my movie knowledge. But Network was a deconstruction of what was becoming the 24-hour news cycle, the, the sensationalized news, the, the news becoming the news. And it was kind of that deep, dark, satirical look at that. Um, then there was the... Paul Paul Verhoeven's two biggest contributions are RoboCop and Starship Troopers. And RoboCop is a is a huge kind of commentary on capitalism. Obviously, making fun of capitalism a ton. Uh, I'd buy that for a dollar and all that kind of thing. Um, and Starship Troopers, one of my favorites. I saw Starship Troopers way younger than I should have. Shouts to Pop Papa Williamson for taking me to Starship Troopers because he knew I'd like action and big bugs getting blown up and stuff like that. But as we grow up now, you can kind of see, and David, tell me if you catch this now or if it took you a while or whatever, but it really, even though it was adapted from a book that took its, its self very seriously, 
Paul Verhoeven decided to make it this satirical look on the military machine, utilizing propaganda, utilizing the different costumes, and disguised it all as like this not great, you know, big budget action movie. Mm -hmm. Do you catch that now with that movie? You know, going, I don't know when the last time you saw Starship Troopers is. I can't imagine you got it on the big screen at home with the kids. But do you see how that, you know, with the, do you want to know more and the, the news ads in it and even Doogie Howser, who's straight up dressed like a Nazi at the end with his big all hat and stuff. Like, that's what that movie's really about. Sure. And I, and I think the thing with satire, though, too, is that it's not always done in a way that's meant to, like, have a purpose behind it. Like, it's not necessarily, like, meant to, like, take down you know, a military institution or like the beliefs on something. Sometimes it's just purely to make fun of like. Exactly. To take the piss out of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, And it doesn't always use humor. Like Starship Troopers is funny and it's even funnier when you realize the satire, but I wouldn't call it a humorous movie. Same thing with Network. You know, Network isn't necessarily a humorous movie, but a couple of other ones on here are like Team America. Team America World Police obviously was taking to task everything as the South Park guys, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, always tend to do. Not only are they taking the whole idea of America literally serving as the world police, not only are they taking that to task, but they're ripping, you know, liberal Hollywood. They're ripping North Korea. uh, And it's one of my – that movie's insane. Um, And then American Psycho. And American Psycho is a little bit more hyper-focused where it's it's taking this ridiculous look at the psychotic, potentially psychotic nature of yuppie culture and how that has even spawned some of our favorite shows. Even like I just got done binge-watching two seasons of Succession. You got me on Billions, yep. which is similar in that it's these like borderline sociopathic, powerful, rich people breaking bad. Sure, and it's just entertaining to watch. It's enter. I mean, I know you and I are just huge billions fans. Yep, yep. And the way that it just takes apart everything from politics to to capitalism and all that kind of stuff. Well, I think all good satire is founded in reality to some point. Oh, like, thousand percent. You know, you got to have some things. It's got to be believable enough in a lot of ways that like there's aspects that are true. And I guess you can go both directions because some of these movies are like so far fetched. It's like right pushing it to the other end of the spectrum to like just like slap you in the face with it and like just Mm kind of be over the top and then there's others that are meant to be like you could be sitting there watching and be like i could believe this is actually happening like i could believe this actually happened type of thing i could absolutely like network is is one of them you know network is one of them american psycho has its moments but it's like yeah there's probably people who exist like this in, in our world um, and then you want to talk about way on the other side of the spectrum. You got Tropic Thunder, which made fun of over serious actors. It made fun of Oscar bait. It made fun of Hollywood power culture and Hollywood producers. Basically, Harvey Weinstein, like Les Grossman, Tom Cruise is mm-hmm. in no small way an allusion to Harvey Weinstein and whatnot. And then the last one that I have, and I question, I don't know if you've seen this one. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite ones. It's called In the Loop, and it's Armando Iannucci, 
who's one of my favorite like comedic voices. He did. He started Veep. He did the death of Stalin. Um, and it's one of my favorite political satires. And it's about the governments of England and U.S. trying to put basically dumb people in a position to accidentally approve like war in the Middle East. And it literally have you seen In the Loop? I have not. You gotta see In the Loop. It's amazing. And it's got the it's got um Peter Capaldi, who was mm-hmm. just the last Doctor Who. It's got James Gandolfini, R.I.P. Um, and it's got a couple other people in it. Um, but it's it's hilarious. And it literally like has stuff in it that is so obviously making fun of again the military complex. Like there's one scene where the, you got these big military generals who find themselves in a child's bedroom at some point and are using a child's calculator to work out the numbers of this war and the calculator is making the beep boop ba like animal noises and stuff and it's just like how stupid and childish all these people are acting in with with this power in their hands so my question to you david and you kind of brought it up a little bit in terms of you know how what satire can be like but do you find yourself drawn to this as as I do? Do you find that you have any favorites over all of over all of these? I mean, I think there's there's some others in there, even that I'd mentioned that are are movies I really enjoyed as well. Uh, movies like Thank You for Smoking, yep. Office Space, it's so good. Uh, Office Space, which a lot of people really love, is obviously a take on like the Office. normal workspace, yeah. you know, yeah. like from that standpoint and. Even movies like Wally or as recently Get Out um, uh-huh. comes to mind. Uh, but you could go even to movies like uh, one of our favorites from a few years back, uh, The Big Short. Like it's got a lot of truth in there. Obviously, it's telling a real story. Right. But like, you know, there's a lot of satire in there. Right. Uh, Vice, same thing. Exactly. You know, huge amount of satire. So I think with that, um, I think with satire, it's kind of like sarcasm is the way that I think of it. Oh, in the sense that if you're someone that enjoys sarcasm, like a lot of times you're probably someone that enjoys satire. And if you're someone who does not like sarcasm, right. a lot of times you're not going to enjoy satire. And I'm yeah. not saying it's or you bl- might not even get it. And I'm not saying it's completely black and white there. Sure. Um, but at the same time, like I feel like a lot of people who enjoy some good sarcastic humor also enjoy satire. Um, and so I think anytime you do something like that, something that can put people on both sides of the fence as far as, like you said, do they even get it? Right. And then furthermore, is it off-putting to some people because because they don't get it or partly because they don't like the way that you're telling it? Right. Um, I think anytime you have something like that, that can lead to a movie being more divisive, maybe being a little less relevant from the standpoint of like how people view it. And like we'll look back on it um, because some people get it, some people don't, you know, type of thing. For sure. And 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 that's what's so interesting is particularly a movie like Starship Troopers with I I spent the better part of half my life. You know, I'm 33 now. I saw that movie when it came out in 97. I was like 10, 11. And um, like I didn't realize it was being satirical. I didn't get the references, mostly because I just didn't have the knowledge. But I would argue, I don't think it's too far-fetched to say that there are people who love Starship Troopers because it's got people blowing up bugs and shit, and which is still pretty rad, you know? Sure. I'm not, not going to lie. But 
what I find interesting about this, and, and again, it's hard not to talk about this movie, about Jojo Rabbit and about satire without bringing up what is being sat, you know, uh, what is being satirized, what is being made fun of, so to speak. But before we get into the movie, before we talk about Taika more, I want to pose a question to you, which is like, does this do, does this do any good? You know, and, and I'm not asking, like, is there a point or is there a reason for this to exist? Obviously, there is. Obviously, there are, there are points to all of this. But look at all the movies that you and I listed, right? You look at Dr. Strangelove and how it was a look at fears of atomic destruction. You look at Network's deconstruction of the 24-hour news cycle. You look at Starship Troopers, Team America, American Psycho, Tropic Thunder, all of these. And you look at what they were ripping on. They're still relevant today. There's still every single one of those things that they were ripping on is still relevant today, whether it be, you know, American imperialism and the, the, the concept of American imperialism, whether it be the 24 hour news cycle, whether it be Hollywood liberals, whatever. Nothing really changed. Like these satires, and I don't know that they exist to change the world. But it kind of is hard to look at them and think like, wow, shit, nothing really changes. Yeah, but I think these are all kind of relevant to that point. I mean, they're all movies. And so, you know, people come into it with different intentions. People even walk away, especially with satire, taking different things away from it. Uh, I'm sure plenty of people will walk away from some of these movies just not understanding what the message was or or being focused to your point with starship troopers on something other than what it was really trying to get across and so with that i mean i think it's always going to be it affects people in different ways like i'm sure there was plenty of people that saw one of the movies we've listed and walked away from it feeling differently and it changed them in some way but i don't think any of these movies are going to create like widespread change in this world right um i don't know i don't know that very rarely does any movie i was gonna say i don't know that any movie really can do that you look like you know you could take like a movie like passion of the christ that obviously is not a satire but like from the impact that it had like there hasn't been many christian movies that do very well at the box office. Sure. And they get their little bump every once in a while. There's one. And that movie was a juggernaut in the, in the theaters. Right. And it wasn't just Christian people going and seeing it. And so I think, um, obviously that probably had an impact on a lot of people. Sure. Um, and you look at, you know, other movies that are out there, like some of the political ones that have come out big short that we were talking about earlier. Like it probably opened people's eyes and, for a lot of people, they were probably changed after it to be smarter about decisions that they make and be and to question more things. And I think a lot of times that's probably what the creators are going for. They know this isn't going to necessarily ignite a change in the world necessarily. Obviously, they would all love that sure. if that was the case. But I think a lot of times if it can make an impact in a small number of people, you still feel like you're making a difference. Uh, you still s- s- feel like you have a purpose. It's like Anytime you do a job, like everybody enjoys a job more when you feel like you have a purpose behind it. Sure. And I'm sure it's the same for movie creators. Yeah, like any artist. Everybody loves to create a movie. Right. But like to actually believe in the message that you're trying to get across, it's going to be only that much more impactful. And I think that's why a lot of times 
you know, maybe you get the better performances in what we would call Oscar bait movies or like movies that have like a specific message that they're doing because a lot of times the people involved are very passionate about the topic they're that's happening. They're fueled by something other than a $20 million paycheck. Exactly. They're exactly. fueled by something more than a car endorsement. Exactly. They're fueled by the message of it. That's a really good point. Um, so that kind of takes us to Taika. Taika Waititi, who is good friend of the podcast, one of our, one of our <laughs> probably one of our favorite directors. It's kind of hard to call him up and coming because he has been, I mean, he's been working for a while, man. He's, he actually was involved in some things. We were, we were talking last night after the movie and I had, I thought it was funny that I loved this movie so much because New Zealand, quirky New Zealand humor wasn't always my thing. And I cited a particular movie called Eagle versus Shark that I was just kind of just, I'm not into the quirkiness nonsense of that movie. And then I looked it up and I saw it was Taika's first movie that he directed. I was like, oh, shit. Well, maybe I need to go revisit Eagle versus Shark again. <laughs> but he did... Boy, he did what we do in the shadows. He did Hunt for the Wilder People. And then he did Thor Ragnarok, yeah. which kind of opened up everything for him. Now, Thor Ragnarok gave him the opportunity to make this kind of movie. He's working on The Mandalorian. He's in very, very high demand now because of his, his storytelling abilities. And so he started from the bottom. Now he's here and... What do you think makes Taika's storytelling so appealing? I think there is a big part of it where he's able to be a little smartassy. He's able to get away with certain... There's, there's an innocent quality about Taika that I don't think... I think is something rare. You know, there's something about Taika that just makes you think like, oh, this is a good dude. He, he's super genuine but he also can get away with little, you know, with smart ass type stuff. What what is it about? Do you like Taika? I'm a big Taika guy. Every time he's doing something, I'm ready for it. Sign me up for it. What about you? Absolutely. I mean, I Thor Ragnarok is one of my favorite of of the Marvel movies, um, and so I'm I'm definitely here for everything that Taika's doing. I think, to your point, I think, um, you know, I think in a lot of ways. You know, whether it be the New Zealand accent, whether it be like the perceived innocence, I think there's just something that like not necessarily breaks down barriers, but like you you have like a friendliness to it already or you're you kind of like enjoy like some people will just enjoy listening to his accent, like and hearing yeah. him talk, you know, and things like that. It's the <laughs> same reason like um you know, flight of the Concords. Like I always think of flight of the Concords when yep. I see Taika, because it reminds me of, uh, that show and, and just how funny, which he wrote and how much for. Yep. He was involved in that too. So I think there's something about him. I think you could even make parallels to even like the lead character in this movie in the sense that like, here's like, I mean, the, the kid, and this isn't a spoiler in any ways is like, you know, spewing out Nazi propaganda and, sure. and calling Jews names and like insulting Jews. And like, obviously, like there's a lot of things that like you could perceive or you could call hate speech from this standpoint. Oh, and yet yeah. you're you're sitting there like rooting for this character. And like, 
obviously there's more to it than that. And we'll get into that as we talk through the actual plot of the movie. But like that even reminds me of like, it's just kind of like that same message of like, you know, there's an innocence to him and like, you kind of want to hear more and like see where he's going with this. And even, uh, you know, I think even like his characters are just very endearing. Like I think of Korg and, in Thor, like, sure. He was just funny. Like there wasn't a whole lot of depth to the character, but like his lines are witty. His lines are funny. Like, well, he's, I don't know. He's, he played him very much like, and again, I'm not a big New Zealand culture guy. I'm not a big Kiwi culture guy, but like, apparently that is very Kiwi of him. Like Korg just being this big dude. Like apparently that's some, like you got all these, like these, these big tattooed warrior Polynesian looking, you know, like guys. Sure. And they're just like, hey, man, how's it going? Like, and they're super chill. They're super laid back. They have these kind of high pitched voices and, and, odd, and, you know, kind of endearing accents and yeah. stuff like that. And that sells it for them. But you brought up a good point, which is, I mean, well, you brought up some good points that I think are, are probably best discussed in the non spoiler thoughts of the movie. But I kind of realized we didn't really just we didn't really say what Jojo Rabbit is about. So for those of you who have no idea what Jojo Rabbit is about, it is set in Germany near the tail end of World War Two and is about a boy who is uh, wants to be a Nazi. He wants to be the best Nazi. He he wants to be he's he wants to be the best Nazi so much that his imaginary friend is Adolf Hitler. And it's kind of his misadventures going to Nazi boys camp and then coming back and living in his German town with his mother and kind of the quirky characters that that come along and whatnot. But then most importantly, he finds out that his mother is hiding a young Jewish girl, young Jewish teenage girl in their house. And it becomes almost this battle of wills inside of him. You know, versus his perceived hatred of what Jews are, of what Jews are perceived to be, and his loyalty to the Nazi regime and fake Adolf Hitler and things like that. And it's it's basically a, an internal struggle for this boy's soul um, at face value, you know, but there's so much deeper there. There's so many things deeper like I like this movie. I don't think you need to make this like. Again, it's hard not to talk about this movie without talking about politics, but I don't think this movie gets made. I don't think anybody's trying to make this movie or trying to trying to even think about this movie before Trump is elected. Like, I think 2012, 2013, 2014, I just don't think anybody's thinking about this movie. But over the past three years, we have seen in news, on social media, in our own towns, across the world, we have seen, you know, this idea of fear mongering and hate speech and lying and all these things. We have seen this become more and more part of the conversation. And so that's what like it's hard. Like you can't you really can't. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, disassociate one from the other. I think this movie exists specifically for that reason. Um, so what did you think about it? Non-spoilers, movie overall. And again, we'll talk more about sort of the underlying uh, message of it and sort of the symbolism of it in deeper detail in spoilers. But but David, you, you came out of walking out of this movie saying it might be top of the list for you. Yeah, I, I think... 
you know, every time we get to this point in the year, obviously we're getting to those movies that are a little bit more Oscar geared, a little bit more on like, you know, the story itself, not uh-huh. so much the action it's, anymore it's and also things time like that. For us to start taking stock of the year and even yeah. now in 2019, maybe even of the decade as if we have time for that. I, I think for me, the reason I enjoyed this movie so much, if we go kind of through like the check marks of everything, one performances for me, everybody in this movie did a fantastic job. I think anytime you have the, when you're integrating kids as like the leads in a, in a movie, there's always that challenge of like, okay, they did well for a kid or, you know, things like that. Um, You kind of accept kind of some corny aspects of it, but I thought, you know, all the kids in this movie held up really well and and did a good job. Um, And I thought, you know, Scarlett Johansson, uh, Sam Rockwell, Taika, uh, everybody that was in it, did a fantastic they're, job. They're on. They're they're firing on all cylinders. Absolutely, everybody, everybody did such a good job in this film, and um, definitely some memorable performances in this that I'll remember. Whether it be Taika's Hitler and some of the, like the funny scenes that we get with him, whether it be Sam Rockwell's character, um, which is fu- he's funny from the mo- he's funny from the moment that he's on the screen. Glenzendorf. Yeah, and so. I think all of that was really enjoying, but I think also, you know, the story, it's not necessarily that this isn't like a topic. Obviously, we've been to Nazi Germany hundreds of times, it feels like, sure. in movies, um, in all sorts of movies, drama movies, comedies, sure. action movies, all that. So it's not like we're going into this unique, you know, time frame that we but, haven't been before. But it's the but it's what is unique. It's not the time frame. It's the approach. Sure. It's absolutely the approach. And so I think um, one of the things I always enjoy about Taika is it's just it feels like every movie that he's done has been like kind of like a breath of fresh air. And in the time of like movies that feel like a lot of recycled content and I and I just got done saying this isn't like anything unique from content, but it's a different approach. Um, There's a way of having fun with it. It's very simple and obviously what its message is. Sure. Um, but they go about it in a in an interesting way and in a setting that you wouldn't normally expect for this. For sure, man. I, I think, again, like, Scarlett Johansson can be my, like, charming German mother anytime, number one. <laughs> number one, just great. Peak ScarJo here. She's amazing. Rockwell is another one where it's like, Rockwell's basically been playing, like, like racist characters for the past three or four years. And everyone's like, Hey Sam, maybe you should cool it on that kind of thing. But this movie, again, it just shows you, man, Sam Rockwell is good. He is so good. He is so funny. Mm -hmm. Not only like, not only is he an amazing actor, but he's, he can be funny. He can be dramatic. He's phenomenal in it. But as you like, again, this movie is full of minor miracles. I'm not the biggest rebel Wilson fan, and she's great in this movie. Yeah. She, you know, she's used kind of like a secret weapon just here or there, just interspersed in certain areas where it's just like, man, Rebel Wilson is funny in this movie. Yeah. And then, as you said, the kids, I want to list them all off because they're amazing. But uh, Roman Griffin Davis as Jojo, this is his first movie. And it's he's amazing in it. Mm-hmm. Thomasin McKenzie as Elsa, the Jewish girl that he discovers, is amazing in it. And I got to give another shout-out to Archie Yates, who plays Yorkie, who's JoJo's best friend, 
who I could watch a whole movie just about Yorkie's, you know, uh, journey mm-hmm. as well. So the acting is really phenomenal. And Taika directs the hell out of it. We didn't, we, you know, Taika plays Adolf Hitler in, in a beautiful way where when he is at the start of the film, and eh, maybe this is veering a little bit more into spoiler territory, so I won't get into it too much, but suffice it to say that his, his character of fake imaginary Adolf Hitler goes through a really interesting arc with Jojo. And it's just such a great movie. It's so well directed. It's very Wes Anderson y. It's very quirky y, quirkish, in the very same vein as The Hunt for the Wilder People, in the very same vein as many of Wes Anderson's movies. It also really balances. And I found it effective. We were going through reviews before this, we were focusing on the negative, getting the negative out before we podcast, because that's not really what we're about here. But we saw a couple of reviews that thought that it did not manage to balance the humor and the heartbreak very well. And I would vehemently disagree with that. Like there are moments in this movie where you and I are sitting next to each other. I haven't heard you laugh that hard in a while. Yeah. We've been to some funny movies. Yeah. And then there are also moments where it's incredibly sad and heartbreaking and devastating because you see what is happening and it's incredibly emotional and I just think it's great. Well, and to me, like, you know, I think there's always a balance when you go comedy in something that is such an atrocity as like what the Nazis did from it's that standpoint so and how hard. they treated. It's really hard to like introduce comedy to that. Like, I think of, uh, um, I think there's a line in The Office <laughs> where <laughs> Michael Scott says something around the lines of like you can't do AIDS like AIDS isn't funny, like or right. something like that. Right. Um, and like, I think that's the balance here, right? Like if you're going to do a satirical comedy, if you're going to not necessarily make like Nazis, you're not trying to make them people empathetic to Nazis, but at the same time, like you're showing them in a different light than what we're used to. Like normally, like, we're used to seeing Nazis as like these evil people that right. are like just terrible. And you get that. And like this. you get that, but right. it's not done in your traditional way. Like they're more made to look like buffoons. Buffoons. And like, and so bl- like, like stupidly blind in their devotion. Yeah, exactly. Which I don't think necessarily in a lot of ways is inaccurate about them. Like maybe obviously they're not what we saw in this film. Sure. Like, I'm sure they weren't that way, but in a lot of ways, their blind allegiance and beliefs were there, were present. And maybe it wasn't in such a, you know, comical way that it's presented in this film. But, like, we don't always have to think of hate and, you know, these negatives in, like, the traditional sense. Like, you can still get the same message uh, across without having to see people get like slaughtered in gruesome sure. ways and things like that to still get across that like these aren't great people no. and like you know the h- love hate balance and so I think um, with that um, I think this this movie just does a really good job of balancing that you have some really heartbreaking moments as you said but I think that's also what makes the funny moments that much funnier because they're unexpected sure and it's not done like it's not one of those movies or satires where you're like oh my gosh i can't believe 
they just said that. Right. Like, there wasn't anything that I felt like crossed the line of like, that's not okay. Like even when they made their insults about like Jews, like they were like your traditional tropes of like, right. Like what people say, but they were done like at level a hundred that like you got passed from it feeling like super like hateful to like sure. ridiculousness. Right. You well, know, also you, you got to recognize where the movie's coming from too. And the one last thing that, that I'll mention before we get to our popcorn ratings, and I've always believed this and maybe this is wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, but this is my opinion. It, in my opinion, it is easy to do drama and I don't mean to discount it. I don't mean to say that anybody who ever has done a dramatic role is is taking it easy. But all I'm saying is it is easy to make people cry and get people distressed. Kill a dog in a movie. Make a movie about a dog and then have the dog die. That's easy, you know. I would even argue that making Holocaust movies or making movies about World War II that show the atrocities, like, we know the atrocities. They're terrible. It's easy is not the right word, okay? But what's hard is to take those things and put them through a satirical lens, to put them into a comedic sense, to show that what is happening is terrible and what is happening is ridiculous, but to filter it through that comedic lens. Comedy is hard. Uh, Comedy has always been hard. Comedy is way more objective or subjective, excuse me, in my opinion. And, and, And granted, one of the arguments that you and I both saw uh, against this movie is that it may it lets Nazis off by making them look as, as like blind fanatics who are just buffoons and too dumb for their own good. And some people are angry about that because they believe that that Nazis are pure evil. And I think that's too that's an easy way out, which is again, without going down the rabbit hole, it's easy to point at something. And say it's evil. It's really easy to do with the Nazis. They've been the, been the best got bad guys since the 1940s. Them and the Russians. Them and the Russians. Them and the Soviets. And now apparently the Chinese and the North Koreans. You know, sure. Like it's real easy to point at an entire country and say evil. It's really easy to point at an entire political stance and say evil. It is hard. It is challenging to a mindset. It is designed to challenge you. It's designed to challenge everybody watching this movie to challenge you to look at empathy, to look at an entire country and say, not everybody is evil. Maybe some people are completely and totally misguided and lied to and fooled. And that's what this movie is trying to say that And and maybe it's simplistic. You know, maybe there are people in this world and some of the reviews that we saw who are so cynical that they refuse to buy in that people on the opposite side of the spectrum can be changed through love, through respect, whatever. Maybe some people listening to this podcast might find that too, too overly simple. But at the same time, like, that's a hard balancing act for this movie to try and pull off. Sure. You know, well, and I think if I could emphasize like one other thing on that topic would be that if you think about like take Schindler's List, right? Sure. Yeah. I I How, didn't ha- want to invoke Schindler's List, but let's do let's Well, do I, it. and I'm not I'm not going to go there, I don't think. But like. How excited would you be if I invited you to come over and watch Schindler's List? It's not that type of movie. It's I, it's not a, that type. And no. but there's a fantastic message and there's something to be said about It's a about, story that needs to be it's, told. It's a story that needs to be told. But 
it's going to be pretty hard to get some ex- someone excited about watching that. Right. Whereas, because it's so effective in what it's trying to show. Exactly. But this movie has a lot of the same messages. Maybe they're not as clear. Um, and they're certainly not as depicted in the same but way. But that's what I'm saying. Is yeah. like It is more likely that you can get someone to go see a movie like Jojo Rabbit and maybe even see it multiple times. Right. And hear that same message over and over again. Maybe not done in such a, you know deep impactful like hard to watch way right but at the same time they're still getting that message and so i think that's where satire can serve a purpose too is that like i don't want to go and watch like like obviously it's not like i'm trying to deny that it happened or i'm trying to avoid the fact that it happened but like i don't want to see death camps over and over and over in in movies or people getting slaughtered it's important that we see them it's important that we know of these things it's important we fight these things but you can't inundate yourself with them exactly and so getting those same messages across in different ways are things that are going to reinforce even things done in those other movies right so i obviously i want to talk more about how this movie takes the very easy target of nazis and how it can be applied to maybe a lot of the discourse of today. But before we do that, we got to do some popcorn rating. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. If you've never listened to an episode before, when as we do the popcorn ratings, it's a little bit different. We don't do one, two, three, four. We have different sort of categories of popcorn that we give out to a movie. We have... Burnt popcorn, which means a movie is garbage. Don't waste your time no matter what. We have my, uh, we have a stale popcorn, which is like, uh, if you're in a pinch, if you need something, if you have to watch this movie, fine. If it's free, fine, but it's not great. We have microwave popcorn, which is your mileage may vary. You know, microwave popcorn can be either really good or it can be not so good. Uh, it's fine. It's middle of the road microwave popcorn. Then we have movie theater popcorn, which means you should... Probably go see this in the movie theater. You should probably take the time, maybe not right away, but take the time to go see this on a big screen, eat some movie theater popcorn. And then our last one is perfect popcorn, meaning you should go see this movie, invest the time as soon as possible with the crowd to go see this movie. And then if we ever find ourselves on the fence between one of those popcorn ratings, we'll throw a Coke in there as well. We'll throw, or Actually, no, we can't use Coke because Coke is, a, you know, we're not, we're not affiliated. We're not uh, endorsing anything. There's no paid ads here. So we throw in a soda, if you will, excuse me, or a pop, depending on which part of the country you're from, what region you're from. So that's what we got here. So for me, David, and I I have to imagine you're going to be in the same boat as me. It's perfect popcorn for Jojo Rabbit. I love this movie. Uh, This movie, it it really tests you and the way you think. And to me, the symbolism was just really impactful to me. Performances are phenomenal. It's phenomenally directed. It's really, really funny. Some of the funniest stuff that I've seen all year, but it's also really, really heartfelt, really hard to watch at times. There's some real serious shit going on in this movie. So that's what I'm giving it. I'm giving it perfect popcorn. What about you? Perfect popcorn. I won't. Uh, we got lots more to talk about, we so do. I'll keep it short. We've gone Loved long. it. Perfect popcorn. Perfect popcorn. All right. Now, we do. I do want to talk spoilers about this, and we've gone long non-spoilers-wise. But before we do, we got to take a quick little break. 
What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that you can get regular episodes of this podcast delivered to you for free by hitting the subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. Take a second. Give us a rating. Write us a review. I've been listening to more podcasts, and one of the things I might start doing is reading podcast reviews if we start getting more of them. I think it's a really fun way to kind of celebrate our listeners, and it's obviously a really fun way for you to celebrate us. So take a minute. Write a review. Write a rating. Hit that subscribe button. Also, we want to remind you, you know, that we're on Patreon. Don't forget to check us out at patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Consider becoming a patron of the podcast. It's not only... Not only does that allow you to show us that we're doing a good job, make us feel all good inside, but it helps us improve the podcast. It helps us do more episodes. It helps us devote more time and pay for all the stuff that you might not see, the hosting and and whatnot. That stuff costs money, and that helps us out. And then not only are you going to be helping us out, but you get patron specific access to early episodes, ad-free episodes, to episodes like our franchise refills, our Oscar primers, and more. So check us out at patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at the popcorn diet. And then last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, all of our articles, Oscar predictions. We got a couple of really fun articles that we're getting ready to put up on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But, David, I wanted to talk spoilers, and you're going to have to rein me in on this one, dude, because there's so much. I could talk about this movie for literally for another 45 minutes, but I know you don't got that kind of time, and I know our listeners don't got that kind of time. But let's let's talk about a couple of things, man. I, I think – what do you want to talk about first? You want to talk about the symbolism in the movie? You want to get a little political? You want to do a little, little uh, juxtaposition between – the movie and maybe society at large today, or <laughs> do you want to talk about some of the funniest bits in the movie? We can literally start at either end of the spectrum. Let's let's just rip the bandaid. Let's go with your uh, with your political stuff. All right, man. And and you know we try to we try to stay firmly in the middle. I think you and I, politically speaking, are pretty pretty comfortable in the middle with a lot of things, and that sometimes pisses people off, and that's fine. But. What I love about this movie is what I was talking about pre-popcorn ratings in that it is difficult to look at somebody who stands in opposition of things that you believe and asks you to sympathize with them, asks you to humanize them. It's easy to demonize somebody. It's easy to say, you know, oh, you disagree with me, so you are evil and you must be stopped. Like, I think that's an easy way out, in in my opinion. And what this movie asks you to do with numerous characters, not every character, but with numerous characters, it asks you to find the humanity in them. And so not only do you have it with Jojo and his slow evolution, which we'll talk about, but you have it in characters uh, like in Rockwell's character, in Alfie Allen's character. I don't know if you picked this up, but those two are thousand percent gay. Yeah, And stuck in this regime where they can't be themselves, but they also do things like Rockwell at the very end to save Jojo. Like, you're a good boy. You recognize good things. You're good in the way that you changed. The way that he treats him, calls him a Jew, kicks like, because they're getting dragged to a freaking firing squad. Yeah. And he's like, get out of here, Jew, and and saves Jojo's life. Yeah. Like, we're asking, the audience is being asked to sympathize with this Nazi character because they did a good thing. Yeah. And that's tough, right? And... 
the way that it juxtaposes in today's world where we are, we are a society that is diametrically opposed to one another. We are right and left. We are fascist and communist or socialist. We are all about creating labels for one another. And I think personally that is one of the things that we are losing maybe as a country, maybe as an entire world is the ability to talk with people who have different ideas than us. And that's where I see the juxtaposition here where you have – And it does treat a lot of Nazis in this movie like Jojo as somebody who is uneducated, as somebody – they say it in the movie. You're a 10-year-old boy who likes to wear a funny costume and wants to be part of a club. It's people who are seeking – they're seeking something. They're seeking kinship. They're seeking somebody to validate them. And they're low-hanging fruit for people like Adolf Hitler who is out here spewing the hate that he spewed and whatnot. And I just find that absolutely fascinating. And I look at JoJo as an analogy for maybe some of the people who are on the far, who are on, I mean, it's easy to say the alt-right. Obviously, that's the most direct comparison. But I would argue that the same is true of people who are on the Antifa side, who are on the the far left side, in that these are people who are so fanatical in their beliefs because they're scared, because they're being pumped with fear and they're being pumped with this hatred. And all it takes is decency, humanity, love to understand that we're all not different. We're the same. There's nothing to be scared of from from one another. And I really admire that. I don't know what you feel about that. I don't know if you're as passionate about it as I am. I know you just let me go out for like five minutes on it. But <laughs> but that was one of my big takeaways from this film was how it can be applied to today. And maybe that's why some people didn't like this movie. Some people wrote it off as cotton candy bullshit and you know, Saturn smiles and, oh, you know, Taika just wants you to have a hug and f- say it's all going to be okay. And I just fundamentally disagree with that because that, to me, those reactions feel really simple, really simple minded. And they feel like they're very closed off and maybe their own hatred for what they perceive as evil. What do you think about that? Do you even think anything about that? Are you going to re- are you going to abstain um, or or did you were you were you picking up a lot of that as you watched it? Um, well, I think, well, there's a couple things. Um, I think in, in general, I think it's easy to clump people together. I think that's obviously an issue in our world is that, you know, if you look a certain way, if you, uh, live a certain place, if you vote a certain way, way, wear a certain hat that you or head or headdress, there's immediate you know, assumptions about who you are. And right. so I think um, I think this movie very much emphasizes that whole of like getting to know there's more beyond some of those things. And and we don't always know people's stories of how they got to where they are. Sometimes beliefs come from being uneducated and it gets passed down from parents before you sure. or those that are influenced or even where you grew up in, like you're influenced by what your perception of certain people are um, or certain organizations are. And that's not to say that, you know, in any of this, it's trying to endear you to the Nazis. It's more to say, like, you know, we're talking about an entire country of Germany. And, you know, everybody in Germany gets lumped in as being a Nazi, first and foremost. And And every person in the Nazis 
gets lumped in as some terrible person. Being the most evil person ever. Exactly. And we don't think about, you know, maybe some people join because for fear of being killed if they didn't join. Right. Maybe you some know? people got drafted. Maybe some people, their parents were Nazis. And so they just thought like, you know, like any kid does, they want to please their parents and right. they want to do what they believe. So like there's a lot more to that. And I think in, in life in general and in um, even in today's world, like there's assumptions that are made simply out of how you look, what you how you vote, who your family is, what sure. color of skin you are, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that leads to a lot of the hatred, the fear, whatever it be. And so right. I do think this tackles it in in, in, in a lot of ways and, and whether or not you can get caught up in like the setting of it because it does it in Nazi Germany right. and you can get hung up on like just thinking about like Nazi Germany and right. what's going on and you don't pull the parallels back to today's world and things like that. Like I'm sure the majority of the audience will probably do that. Sure. Because it's easy to do that. It's yeah. they're making Hitler look funny and right. well, you and, know, all this other stuff. And the Hitler thing is really interesting because as I said before, Hitler goes through this arc that I found really fascinating. That's where you know, at the very beginning, Hitler is like this lovable doofus and Tyke is getting all these laughs. And it's, oh, funny, like, oh, oh, it's goofy Hitler and whatnot. And, oh, it's nice Hitler. And, and, and there, there's a point to that, man, because that's what people see. That's how that's how you 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 breed fanaticism is. Oh, I'm just a buddy just like you. I love you, Jojo. Like, we're best friends. You're my top guy, all that stuff. But then the second you start questioning that the second you start saying like well it's not that bad like imaginary hitler starts becoming real hitler starts becoming the hitler we're all familiar with and over the course of the movie as taika jumps in here and there he becomes angrier with jojo and he starts yelling at him and he starts there's even a couple scenes where he goes off on his big rants and speeches and just fire and brimstone and it's kind of stark and jojo recognizes that in his his imaginary friend Adolf Hitler that it's like oh the second I ch I challenge even a tiny thing that you are telling me is true you flip out on me and yeah. it's a really kind of an abusive relationship and it gets all the way to the point of at the very end when after Jojo gets the news that Hitler's killed himself the last imaginary version of Hitler shows up and he's got a bullet hole in his head and he's just angry at Jojo and he's so angry that he's not even making sense anymore, probably because of the bullet through the head. Sure. But it gets to the point and then at the very end and it's a crowd pleasing moment for a lot of people It was a crowd pleasing moment for me, for people in our audience. But some people have have written it off as simplistic where he's literally just like F you Hitler and kicks him out the window. Sure. And it's it's. It's his rejection. It's all symbolism, man. And, and it's his rejection of that hatred. It's his rejection of that fanaticism. And that's freaking beautiful, man. And you see it in a number of other areas. You see how through two-thirds of the movie he's wearing his uniform proudly. And then he loses his knife. And then he gets scarred. And then he starts wearing a different jacket more. And then by the end of the movie, he's not wearing his uniform anymore. Like, there are things that are subtle, but also not so subtle to, to show JoJo's progression from this blind fanatic. And they even say it in the movie when the freaking Gestapo assholes show up, which is funny because yeah. they're so charming. 
But he walks in and he's like, oh, I wish everybody had such blind fanaticism as you do. But if you just take a second to look deeper, you know, there's something there. Um, and I just loved it, man. It really impacted me a lot. And I think it's important. I think it's important that we treat each other as human beings. And listen, I'll be the first to tell you, not everybody is, is worthy of being treated like that. There are some people, much like Adolf Hitler, much like some of the Nazis in this movie who do irredeemable things, who shouldn't, they're the worst, you know? They're evil. Mm -hmm. And it's important to recognize that that exists, and this movie acknowledges that that exists, but it's also important to recognize that that's not everybody. Not everybody is evil. Not everybody's the devil, you know, especially yeah. if they're just sitting across from you. You know, we're talking about our fellow countrymen. We're, fellow, we're talking about our, our brothers and sisters. We're talking about our fellow human beings. And I think I, I just think it's really important to me. Obviously, I'm passionate about it, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I, I, I you brought it up. You brought up something really interesting that. I think is really powerful and it's not really tied into the movie at all, but you mentioned like because of what color your skin is, because of who you are, because of what you're wearing, people build an assumption on you immediately. Right. And to me, like the most stark contrast of that is, is it's about what you're wearing on your head. You know, there are people who see a red hat and think you're the worst person in the world. Yeah. And there are people who see maybe a headscarf who, think that they're the worst person in the world and it's so much more complex than that it's so much more yeah, than, or have a certain bumper sticker on their exactly. car or whatever the case it's may be. so much more complex than that than you're a racist fascist or you're a terrorist socialist it's so much more complicated than that um and I don't know. I just wish we would all realize that a little bit more. But let's wrap this up with some good stuff, man. Let's talk about some of the stuff that made us laugh in this movie. Because uh, there's a lot of funny shit in this movie. There is. Um, I think this movie, to me, like I was trying to think of like, because there's so many things in comparisons and some of the reviews talk about like how like, you know, Taika owes a lot to like Mel Brooks. And there's definitely right. some Mel Brooks in this movie. I also got a whole lot of. Wes Anderson in this movie. A lot of Wes Anderson in this movie. Um, but I feel like it's like a cross of like Wes Anderson and Mel Brooks all like spun in like some New Zealand bowl. You oh, know, yeah. like oh, yeah. of you know, a flight of Concords influenced bowl from that With standpoint. With a big old slice of kiwi in it. Yeah, exactly. But uh there's so many funny moments in this and, and some of them are really subtle. Um all of the interaction um between uh Jojo and his best friend, Yorkie, Yorkie. Um, the best are hilarious. There are these two kids who are just like caught up in Nazi like war is going on around them. Right. They they're like most adolescent boys in that like they want to do what their fathers. They want to do what, you know, the older kids are doing, which is being tough, going off to war, being right, you know, fighters. But they don't really know why they're like they don't have that hatred right of they're like we're protecting other people the like they think they're doing a noble thing they think that's what you do like that kind of thing but at the same time like they get thrown into some of the ridiculousness <laughs> of it um yorkie's so good in this and movie. <laughs> oh yorkie's phenomenal i think <laughs> the the line that made me laugh out loud like the hardest um was definitely it was late in the movie yep. when the allies um, are all storming the town when they were talking basically who is against them. And so they were listing off like 
the Russians, the, Americans, the, the Russians, the Australians. The, yeah, like everybody's coming after us except for the Japanese who <laughs> I'm trying to remember exactly he how says, he says it. He says if I'm because they mentioned, you know, pure Aryan. Yeah. You know, blood, blood throughout the movie, throughout lots. the movie. And he's just like and he is. He's rallying off. He's like, the Russians are coming from this way. The Americans are coming from this way. Everybody's against us except for the Japanese. And if I'm being completely honest, they don't seem very Aryan to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we laughed. You and I both laughed really hard at that. Um, I think Rockwell's entire character, he's this this captain who keeps getting demoted because he keeps screwing up. And even from the very start of the movie where he's got one bad eye and he's drinking and he's showing off to the kids, to them sitting in a in the pool pool room and he's just like, I'm overseeing these maneuvers and it's fully dressed like Nazi kid soldiers jumping into a pool and he's just like, you know, in case we ever go to war in a pool or whatever. Yeah. Yep. And stuff like that. It's 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 the you know, the small bursts of violence, like there's a part where Somebody throws a knife off a tree trunk yeah, and that it stabs a kid in the leg. Yep. Like, there's so this movie's so funny, and and again, you know, Tyka's really funny too as Adolf Hitler, where, uh, you know, where they're like, "What should we do?" And Jojo's like, "Negotiate." And he's like, "Burn the house down and blame Winston Churchill." <laughs> like, it's funny stuff in this movie, the merchant stuff, and then it's all laced with. A, a level of seriousness again rebel wilson's really funny in this movie the scene in the pool where she like slowly slides over or where she says like i've had 15 children for germany yeah and there's a little bit of fantasticalism here where she goes oh jojo yes we can you can give him this job the clones need to be taken for a walk and it cuts to like 12 of the same blonde chubby looking boys dressed in Nazi funny uniforms. funny note for you so the clones do you know who they're played by no. They're played by Roman Griffin Davis's twin brothers. Really? Yeah. And it's just, uh, are they, is it just one brother who's There's multi- two of dupl- them, and then I think they And then they duplicated, duplicated them. them. Ah, that's a good tip. That's yeah. A good, that's a good piece of trivia. Um, yeah, man. I, this movie is just so, so funny. Scar- ScarJo, we barely talked about her in the movie. Just her moments of real sweetness with jojo like when she pretends to be the dad it's not necessarily funny per se there are funny moments in it but she's very very i don't know what the word is heartwarming yeah well and i think you know for me the thing that i'm realizing now that i'm a parent like a lot of those things hit you a little bit more when you Ah, have kids too like seeing scenes like that like seeing what parents go through to try to protect their kids like scarlet Johansson in this movie she's obviously you know a German who's helping Jews because she doesn't believe in right there's what's going on what the Nazis are uh about there's that dark moment where they come across the square and they see like five or six people hanging there in the yeah. square dark shit for a quote-unquote comedy yeah and Jojo asks her like what did they do and she goes all they could yeah or what they could and obviously that's where she ends up in the same square yeah. hanging the same way um and so it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you see, you know, there's all sorts of storylines, like what you do to protect your kid. Like she yeah. could have told him that there was someone living in there and tried to like teach him the lesson of like, this is why we're doing, but like recognize that like that would put him in more danger because Absolutely. like asking a 10 year old to lie when he's around Nazis 24 seven is something that you do to protect 
your kid mm-hmm. and things like that. And so I think, you know, just so many memorable moments. And, and like you said, not all of them are funny, but they're very like charming and right. endearing and they make you that much more invested in the characters that are on the screen. Like, yes, we're not, we don't care about Hitler in right. this film, but the interactions that you see of like this young 10 year old boy, like they're things that like, obviously I don't picture my kid having a imaginary friend that's Hitler. I would hope, but not. at the same time, like you can see like as if, when you have a kid that's young and mine's only three, mm-hmm. like you can see like some of the youthful innocence. And there's so much of that in this film of like, you forget, like when you think of Nazis, all you think of is like grown up, like killing machines. Like right. terrible, you don't think about people. like, there's little kids, little boys and girls that grew up in that, that didn't ask to be in that world that like were innocent as well. And they don't know any better. And they get lumped into like all the hate and everything else. And that continues the cycle, you know? How how can you, you you see like, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know, man. We Dude, we could talk so much about this. You talk about the kid who was wearing the Make America Great Again hat who showed up all over the news and stuff like that. Like he's a high schooler, right? And everybody is so quick to say like, Oh, this guy's a piece of garbage. But how uh, how can you ever hope to change someone by just outright rejecting them? How can you ever hope to change someone who, ever since they're grown up, that's all they know? You know, you got to give that effort forth. And and that's another thing. And we'll wrap this up. But like, that's one of the reasons why Thomas and Mackenzie is so good at Elsa because she's also doesn't start out as immediately combative. I mean, she does definitely. She holds Jojo at knife point and threatens to kill him, but. She also recognizes that this is just a kid who doesn't know anything. And through his his deteriorating sort of efforts to write a, a manual about Jews, she feeds him like a bunch of BS. But then she connects with him on a human level, you know, yeah. on, on a deeper, on a human level. And that's what's so important. And she pulls that off greatly as well. So well, and I think even like through the letters, like you see he initially tries to use the letters to hurt her, hurt her to get rid of her, you know, whatever you want to say. Her fake or her real boyfriend, her real fiance or whoever who yeah. find out who died. And it's just a childlike jealousy. Yeah. And he, and he does it hoping to get rid of her, hoping that she'll leave, hoping right. whatever the case is, right. she, he believes that he needs to hate this person. So yeah. he does that. But then he notices the effect that it has and he hears her crying. Right. And so he goes back and does another thing and does another one to hopefully cheer her up. I didn't mean anything that I said. And I think in that moment, he obviously realizes the power of, you know, maybe not the power of love just that yet, but like notices the power of words and things like that of hate. Yeah, exactly. And the effect that it has on people. And, and I think, Throughout the film, you see him in different moments realizing, like, he doesn't want to be that person. Like, when they ask him to kill the rabbit, he doesn't have any reason to want to kill the rabbit. Why would I kill the rabbit? Right. And, you know, when he's faced with this opportunity to hate a Jew, like, he doesn't have any reason to, like, other than he's been told he's supposed to. And so I think, you know, it's cool to see that evolution and, and the different ways that they do it. And it's just, it's, it's a fun movie, but it's also one that, you walk out of, you know, feeling, feeling the message and, and being encouraged by it or, it makes you or however be you want to be. Like, yeah, I exactly. Want, I, I it challenges be you. It does. So 
I mean, again, we could go for another 30 minutes, I'm sure, but we will put a pin in it. We will wrap it up with that. Before we finish, though, again, don't forget, you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet. Take a minute. Take a second. As long as you're not driving, take a second. Wherever you're listening to this episode right now, go and give us a rating. Go and write a review for us. Hit subscribe if you haven't already. Take a few seconds to show the love for The Popcorn Diet. We want to know all the good movie buddies out there. So take a second and do that. Share us with your other good movie buddies, your friends and your family. Don't forget, you can find us at patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Consider becoming a patron. Give a dollar or two or five or whatever to the podcast. That's going to help us improve. It's going to give you patron-only access to free episodes, early episodes, and additional patron-only episodes like our franchise refills, like our Oscar primers. Of course, don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. And we'll see you next time with another good movie on The Popcorn Diet. Adios.